Hey everyone, this is Chris. If I sound weird and different, it's because I'm recording this on my cell phone. I know today was the day we were supposed to drop our episode on Mirror Image, but I am on vacation, Allison is on vacation, and Matt is off saving the world as usual, so we had to preempt that recording. So to hold you guys over, I'm releasing this episode of our Patreon-exclusive show, Leaps Elsewhere. This is the one where we talk about Scott's series, Gung Ho. It was his first series, a half-hour comedy based on the movie starring Michael Keaton, and we had a ball recording this one. A word of warning, we do not censor our Patreon shows, so there is profanity in this episode, including the occasional F-bomb. So don't listen to this one with the kitties in the car. Stick around after the show, and I'll tell you how to access this and other Patreon-exclusive content. We also got a bunch of other stuff going on at Patreon that you're going to want to hear about. But for now, enjoy Leaps Elsewhere, Gung Ho. It's a day to remember... When East meets West and the Japanese management team takes over a Pittsburgh auto plant. Don't you want the men to be happy? A happy worker makes a happy car. If we want happy cars, we get clowns to make them. The premiere of Gung Ho, Friday. Hi, I'm Matt Dale. I'm Alison Pragler. And I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And welcome to Leaps Elsewhere. This is our Patreon bonus show where we talk about other projects that feature Scott and Dean. And today we are so, so excited to be finally talking about the pilot episode of Gung Ho, uh, which is a a, a very short-lived 1986 sitcom, uh, which spun off from a a movie from that year of the same name. I know Alison and I have been itching to talk about this for so long, and Chris, I think, is, is new and has hopefully been introduced to the wonders of gung ho i'm really looking forward to uh i i already know what alice thinks but i'm really looking forward to hearing what uh hearing what chris's view is so (sighs) i mean is that an invitation for initial impression (laughs) i i I think this is alison should we start with you Oh man, uh, first of all, thank you for writing out the entire lyrics of the theme song first. <laughs> One of us would want to sing it at some point. Yes, it, it's, it gets stuck in my head so often. Not just to, not just after re-watching it last night, but just every once in a while. I'm just like, mm-hmm. there's gonna be changes, changes, changes in your life. Um, yeah, I love Gung Ho. I, I look, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> it's, um, it's pointless, really. But um, there are some some good merits to it, I think. Um, so uh, I'll get into that a little bit deeper. But I, I greatly enjoy it. I enjoy showing my friends <laughs> the horrors of Gung Ho. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing the merits of it. Um, besides introducing friends. We should mention also, this was like an eight or nine episode run. This was very, very short before it was gone. You know it's always going to be a good show when it, it ran for less than half a season. Although, to be fair, it's it's not one of those ones where the last episode was never aired. It, it has that going for it. Every one of them made it on screen. This was uh, his second uh, project ever, wasn't it? In his first TV show? I think so. Scott Bakula? Yeah, he's a natural. Chris, what did you think? At least initial impressions. I'm sure we've got a lot to unpack. Oh my god, every emotion that you can name. Um, <laughs> fear and loathing, humor and horror. Um, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's, it's funny, we're talking about, you know, we're going to be discussing just the pilot here, but I actually was able to watch six of the seven episodes that were available. Wow! Oh man, you binged it? Yeah, and I'm going to say initially, you might want to watch the whole series. You'll have a better opinion of it if you stick with it for a little longer. Um, that's that's. I, I'll get into more specifics as we go on, but yeah. Um, the first episode, I almost couldn't get through it. <laughs> it was <laughs> just... Uh, I I don't know where you want to begin, Matt, but you have some really salient talking points here. <laughs> yeah, and I um, it's been a long time since I've watched the whole run, so I'm really focused on the pilot at the moment. I can't remember what you're alluding to. I, I remember it all just being like six, seven, eight episodes, just like that. I I love it. And um, I think a lot of my discomfort with it is in questioning why I love it and that, that maybe I shouldn't. Um, but actually, I, I just 
I don't think it's it's horrific. I don't know which friends I would want to introduce it to, um, because I do like to keep my friends. But um, <laughs> all the Bacula heads in your life. Yes. Yes. Obviously. Bacu fans. Yeah. Our Patreon supporters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you guys all have to go out and track it down. I'm, I'm sure it's available on YouTube and and stuff. It's definitely never had a release on DVD for some some strange reason. <laughs> uh, where do you guys want to start? Should we should we jump straight in with some of the the tougher stuff about whether or not this should be seen as an enjoyable show in in light of the, some of the changes we've been through in the last. God, 30 years? Is this nearly 30 years old? Well, I want to start off this discussion. You're talking about, uh, as you put in the notes, casual racism? Yeah, I, I wonder okay. if we should put this in context, because, let's face it, if this was made today... Yeah, uh, here's uh, here here is my thoughts on this. Um, the first time I heard about Gung Ho, the movie or the show, is when I was looking up Scott Bakula stuff, and I see this picture promoting the show. It's him and Getty Watanabe looking at each other while there's like he's holding a Japanese flag and like what (laughs) and I'm like what is this this looks very racist I need to know immediately what this is so I looked it up and um I'd never heard of the movie um but I decided to watch the movie and then watch the show once I, I tracked it down and um here's the thing uh it it wasn't really as racist as I thought it would be um, because I mean, a lot of it's like East meets West culture shock kind of stuff. You know, the the movie and the show is about uh, this Japanese company comes and takes over this uh, Midwest. Or is it Midwest or where are they at? They're supposed to be, I think, in Pennsylvania. Okay, they take over this car company um, there, and uh, they bring in all the Japanese rules, and all of the the, the workers there don't want to, you know, the, there's the culture clash and all that. Uh, Michael Keaton is the liaison to kind of bridge the gap between uh, the workers and the, the Japanese bosses, stuff like that. And uh, there are some stereotypes in it, for sure. Um, but I, I don't really feel like it's it's that racist. And and I feel like when uh, watching the show, they definitely had like the same sort of stereotypes in it. So I won't like excuse those because there is some stuff I'm, I'm sure uh, actual Japanese people would find offensive. But I feel like also, um, I find it hard to think of any shows uh, in English speaking American shows that are focused on an Asian family like ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like this you would think that this would be about scott bacula's character but it's really not when you watch most of the show yeah most of it is about getty watanabe and and his family which i found really interesting and usually in a in a positive light there are stereotypes there but it's never like oh look at these dumb asian people they're not like the american people so i feel like that and especially in 1986 was um pretty amazing to happen to be honest mm-hmm yeah, I, I have to say that, uh, Allison, that's what struck me most as the show went on, and that's why I recommended partially that you stick with it, because the first episode really is just the fish out of water, culture clash, good old racism for laughs, L-A-F-F-S, laughs uh, on American <laughs> television in the 80s, um, because of all of the, the Japanese stereotypes and the way that they want to play off them. And I think once they got... Once they got through all of that 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 horrible, crass, low-hanging fruit and realized that the show just couldn't be jokes like that the whole run, they started focusing on Kaz's family, and it was really about Kaz and his wife. Mm, yeah. yeah, I think it took forever to even like see uh, uh, Scott Bakula's apartment or anything like that. It was almost always over at, at their house. Right, and Scott was a non-entity in this show. You can tell, honestly, that... They were writing this character because that was the character from the movie, and they just happened to put Scott Bakula in the role. And it wasn't until later on, like four or five episodes in, that they started writing for Scott instead of just writing the part. So that's what really struck me. So this really is is Getty Watanabe's show. And um, he was good. I think part of that, too, is because the uh, the Asian cast is, I think, everyone returning from the movie, or almost everyone – and the only um, Caucasian person that came back was uh, Clint Howard. Everyone else is recast. So I think they were like, these are big movie stars. So we're going to like show them off. I'm relieved to hear your takes on this because um, as as a British guy, 
watching this, I was quite taken by the fact that, yeah, ca- casual racism um, may, maybe is a phrase too far for this, but yeah, there's 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 this, the the laughs at the expense of the stereotypes, but that's for me, I could see that in the Japanese characters and also in the American characters. Sure. But I think, like, we're used to that in dumb sitcoms anyway, though, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it just yeah, feels yeah. like dumb sitcom. The, the biggest problem I had with Gung Ho, to be honest, is, like, it's not really that funny. <laughs> it's just, like, when they yeah. have jokes, like, I'm the liaison, I'm, I liaise. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's supposed to be the whole joke. That was a running gag through the episode that they say he liaises. Come on, let's not become a mom. <laughs> Am I not your ever trustworthy liaison? Yeah. yeah. And just what does a liaison do? I liaise. <laughs> Well, you know that you're sort of in trouble when Scott's first line is basically announcing his character. This is what my character is. Oh, was that his first line? Shit. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're announcing your role. This is definitely like the the niche that they would put Scott Bakula in before Quantum Leap is that he was like a goofy horn dog. <laughs> so yeah. He's just like, I'm going to get with the ladies. <laughs> with plenty of his upper chest on show just so we knew. Why the ladies loved him, but he doesn't get sh- he doesn't get shirtless. He they had a perfect opportunity to do it yes. when they all they're gonna go bathe, and he just takes and I was off his for it. over shirt. <laughs> Maybe he had a mic on underneath, and they didn't want to bother taking it off. I don't know. They had an opportunity for fan service, and they did not take it. Those sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> have, uh, being being the old in the group, as as you guys like to point out, had either of you seen? the movie Gung Ho with Michael Keaton before seeing the series. I watched it just before I watched this. And like Alison, I had not heard of it before this, but I have not braved it. You've not watched the movie? No, I didn't. I, the movie wasn't too bad. I got so used to the, the actors in this, and yeah, as, as you say, um, a lot of the Japanese cast are the same. It feels like I'll experience in reverse that thing when they do recasting for a TV version and it just seems all wrong. I'll watch, I'll watch Michael Keaton and just think, no, no. He should be Scott. It's all wrong. You know what I appreciated about the Gung Ho movie is um, Getty Watanabe, uh, he's in a lot of stuff, but I was really most familiar with um, some of the bad uh, stereotype comedy he's done. I mean, this is not... If if you want to see Getty Watanabe playing a, a caricature, um, like oh, 16 no. Candles, that was what he was mostly the known for. <laughs> What's happening, hot stuff? Yeah, uh, the donger and all stuff like that. Um, but I saw this and I really saw like him do a great dramatic performance because it really was about him trying to do what's best for his family and for his culture and make this whole thing work. And it was less um, over the top uh, the, than the uh, the sitcom because it's typical 80s sitcom kind of thing. So I, it made me appreciate him as an actor because I think like he's better than some of the roles he's probably best known for. And that's that's one of the things that I think makes this special for me. And as I say, I can't remember how the series plays out, so forgive me. I'm just just talking about the pilot here. But exactly as you say, Alison, there there is a depth to his character that just keeps getting interrupted by dodgy slapstick stereotypical humour. But as long as you can look past that, um, he gets some great moments. And you don't have to look past it for long because later episodes actually play to his strengths because they realized what they had in him and the dumb 80s comedy uh, was in the forefront, but they tried to give it some kind of um, depth and some real stuff for him to work with. So I, I was happy to see that, again, once they got over all of the obvious gags, they really tried to make it into a show with characters that you could care about. The reason I asked about the movie version and how familiar you guys are with it as compared to the TV version is because the movie Gung Ho was one of those movies that came on HBO in the 80s when everybody first got HBO. And it was on all the time. So we must have seen it a thousand. We, we probably saw it like three times a week when it was on HBO. <laughs> and when I was watching the series, I said, it's a shame, but Scott has none of the charm or the charisma that Michael Keaton has in Gung Ho, um, the movie. And like I started saying, he was a non-entity until they started writing for him instead of just a generic Michael Keaton stand-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott Bakula is not Michael Keaton. 
They're like completely yeah. different, and I love them both, but it's completely different. So it's kind of it like, yeah, he should be written as him, not as Michael Keaton, because it's, right. it's just not. And 80s Michael Keaton, he was like the height of his power in the 80s, Michael Keaton, you know, and he had sort of that, that, that lovable snarky kind of thing going for him. And he still does it these days, but he'd do more dramatic roles, and he's branched out a lot from the roles that got him established, like in Mr. Mom or in Night Shift or in this in Gung Ho. And I, I guess I was a fan because I went to see all his movies and I, I like him as an actor. I like him a lot. So that was the the most glaring difference to me between the series and the movie. Am I misremembering? Was there a girlfriend or a wife involved with Michael Keaton in the movie that they just casually write out in the, the pilot? <laughs> I honestly don't remember that much of it. The main thing I remember about the film was that it really was sort of taking the American worker to task, especially unionized American workers, for being lazy, entitled dickheads mm -hmm. and not wanting to go the extra mile. And that was where a lot of the culture clash came in because they were like, well, we've always done it this way. And the union says we don't have to do it your way and, you know, go screw off, you know? And yeah. it was it was that journey of of them coming to accept the fact. Michael Keaton even has a monologue in the middle of it, like a la Mark Twain on the roof and Huck Finn yelling at everybody saying, we, we say that we're the best, we're Americans. Well, guess what? They're kicking our butts. And we are not the best. We just pretend that we are. We just say that we are, you know? And that's a familiar American refrain in the late 20th and early 21st century. It's just, you know, resting on laurels. That was the main message of the movie, I think. It wasn't so much the culture clash, which, yeah, I mean, that was what gets you in, but then what it's really about. And I feel like the series sort of was able to do that as it went on, and the culture clash got a little less. Well, I mean, they taught us that, that compromise, that's what it's all about. Compromise. <laughs> The speech you mentioned, Chris, um, this sounds like it's what's, what's effectively replayed in the bar in the pilot episode where Scott's character is saying, you know, the, these guys are obviously know what they're talking about. Maybe they can teach us something, but it doesn't seem like it goes down that well. Does it does it play out a little bit better in the film? Um, you know, you get the initial resistance and how could you betray us and, you know, because the way he worked it in the film was that they said, if you don't make a certain amount of cars, you got to meet this quota before this date or we're going to shut you down. It's, not, it's just not going to work for us. So Michael Keaton actually went because he was the shop steward. He wasn't a liaison, I guess, as a shop steward, he is liaisoning with, with the management. So he's part of the union. So he told the guys to try to motivate them that they would need to meet a certain number. And then if they met that and they met a second number, then they could do even more or whatever. So the second number was the real number. The first number is just one he made up to encourage them and to, and they got to that first number and they're like, we're done. We don't have to do anymore. And he's like, no, but don't you want to, don't you want to do well? Don't you want to do as best as we can? And they were like, fuck no. And <laughs> that's when he gave the speech and he's like, well, guess what? Yeah. You know? They're kicking our butts. And for the 80s, it was, I don't know, radical, but it was a movie of its time. I'd, I'd wonder how it holds up now, because I remember it fondly. I don't remember it poorly. And Watanabe was good in it, too, because one of the funniest scenes in the movie, I just remember him struggling, like Allison, like you said, with his family and sort of the change in culture from uh, Japanese to American culture. And his kid is like playing video games and watching TV. And he just yells at the kid as he runs by, read a book. <laughs> 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 so Watanabe was good in it as well. And knowing him only as long duck dong before that, it was funny to see. And in this, that he's actually a really good actor. <laughs> Was it Sixteen Candles or Pretty in Pink? Which was the one that he was in? I feel uh, like I uh, Sixteen it. Candles. 16 it was Sixteen candles. candles, right? Okay. I'm looking through his IMDb at the moment, and I don't think there's nothing I've seen him in that I actually remember him in. I see he's in Armageddon as uh, Asian tourist. So. <laughs> Well, there you go. I don't oh, think dear. he got a lot of featuring starring roles. I think Gung Ho was like the big like this is Getty Watanabe's project. He was in 58 episodes of ER. Was he? It was after I stopped watching from the looks of it. But, uh, wow. Yeah. 
This series was made around the time that every Ron Howard movie, they decided needed to be a TV series. And <laughs> that's the only reason that it was made. Because Gung Ho, I've talked about the merits of it, but I find it very pointless. <laughs> I feel like there should have been another uh, premise of a show for like an Asian family, stuff like that. The representation's great, but there's no reason for Gung Ho to be a TV show. I mean, you can say that about most 80 sitcoms, Allison. They don't even bother, like, recapping what's going on. Like, you have to know the movie to understand. Even in the pilot, like, it's, like, it's kind of incomprehensible what they're, what actually, like, how they got into this situation and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I feel like a little recap would have been nice. They do give it lip service. But isn't isn't that why scott does his introduction piece explaining very clearly who he is isn't that that's kind of their ham-fisted way of doing I, a recap i guess i didn't feel that confused but then i i'd read the like the, the one-line imdb write-up or whatever beforehand so maybe that's why i mean the setting's just not very interesting long term to me like they're the even like they can't even get any cars there it's just a bunch of cardboard cars in the background on the line <laughs> like <laughs> It's like a carnival game. <laughs> it's shit. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to I was going to come to that. I was on the lo the low quality versions. I was trying to figure out if that was some some filmed cars that are on a really bad back projection. Oh no, those they are, are cardboard, cardboard cars. <laughs> they, they are cardboard. Cars. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm assuming all the uh, rather expensive looking exterior shots are all from the movie. Yeah, anytime you see like the the cars sparking and creating yes. things in the in the intro and them being in the communal bath outside, that was like one of the famous scenes from the movie, um, which I don't think they ever show in the show. It's just in the intro, but yeah, yeah, and they they allude to it at the end of the pilot episode. Yeah, going to take a communal bath. Can they really like make them take communal baths as part <laughs> of the rules? They're like, you have to do this. It's like, could they like enforce that? <laughs> I'm sure that can't be legal in America. I also, <laughs> I did some, I did some googling, and yeah, I mean, um, communal baths are a, a big thing in Japan, but I couldn't find anything to say that it was a standard thing for workers to to bond. I've not been able to find that, so I'm intrigued as to whether that, there was some uh, liberties taken. With that just for laughs it's 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 plausible it sounds like something those strange japanese would do yeah it's funnier if you do i you know what it, that's just movie logic i think i don't think they would really <laughs> go to america and then do that yeah the movie they they instilled a calisthenics routine at the beginning of the day that everybody was bitching about right but they couldn't film any exterior shots, so they're like, I right, just, exactly. just allude so to things. <laughs> we only have a few sets. <laughs> it was so small and janky. <laughs> it really was. But how about that um that hip Jermaine Jackson joke? That was pretty I good, that right? That was the funniest joke in the whole pilot. I have that written down. None of this is Jermaine. That was the only genuine <laughs> laugh. Well, get Michael Jackson. <laughs> you are crazy. You're right, he'd never do it. Jermaine. <laughs> This is Jermaine. I wrote down one genuine laugh, and that what I what I wrote down was the bat. That that was what I wrote down for my one laugh for the pilots. <laughs> Does that not even resonate with you guys? Do you not remember the bat? I don't know. Someone has a bat at some point. I think that's all I remember. <laughs> Kaz says, "Like, yeah, get, I, I'll go and stand up to Mister Sakamoto, but you've got to give me something to fight him with." And the barman throws a bat to him. Oh, oh yeah, I that was, yeah. laughed so hard I cried. <laughs> um, but, that, but that was it. usually the one I found the most funny um, in, through the whole series. Was um, I don't remember the character's name. Kaz's right hand man with the big hair. Sato? Sato, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Really... He's so, yeah, so deadpan. Yeah. Really funny. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed him. And um, I, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Patty Yasutake uh, mm. as uh, Kaz's wife, uh, who was uh, Nurse Agawa on um, yeah. Star Trek Next Generation. Always good to see her showing up. She was the other constant bright spot of the entire series because they played off really well together. The chemistry that um, Watanabe and Bakula should have had was actually in spades between Watanabe and, and Yasutake. She was great. Yeah, she was sort of the one that was more into like integrating into the American culture exactly. and they kind of like, you know, 
butt heads about it a little bit. And uh, I like the episode. There, there's one later on where she goes to work at like a an electronics store. Wacky wallies. Yeah. <laughs> that one's pretty good. Oh, you guys are making me want to watch the rest of this. I, I'm going to have to stay up late tonight and binge the rest. Well, you were talking about how you liked Saito, the character, um, Allison. And Matt, do you like them too? The, uh, the the right hand man. Yeah, in this one he was kind of like you know an asshole, but I guess that's the point. The problem I had with that character is he was the only one that it was consistently. I guess it was the sexism thing because one of the running gags was that his wife was this subservient little mousy thing that would make. Oh it- yeah, yeah, that was not great. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh come on, they're going to keep up with this. Oh, I guess they are. He's just going to be a constant sexist douchebag throughout the entire show. And I don't know how accurate that was, or if it was just an American representation. I think past the pilot, it wasn't as oh, it was. much as the... Was it? <laughs> yeah. All right, maybe yeah. I'm not remembering. Um, well, the jokes I liked with him were more like the the over-seriousness of it and, um, you know, delivering all of his lines very deadpan. But yeah, I mean... You know, it's not that he was a jerk. It was the fact that um, we're supposed to be laughing at the fact that he's such a jerk to his wife, which is like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. That was like the, the loathing that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> it's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, and you're just going to keep playing this for laughs? Okay. Chris, you brought up the topic of the kind of the relationships between the characters and um, particularly Scott and um, Watanabe. Can we talk maybe a bit about the relationships between the the American characters in this? Because I think there's a nice dynamic going on. Which one do you want to start with, Matt? Well, I'm thinking, I mean, particularly uh, what Buster, um, because in in the pilot, the the whole thing surrounds Buster getting fired and the way that Bacula's character responds to that. To me, Buster is the worst character in the movie and the show. Exactly. Thank you. Because he was like, he was just a racist asshole. In the movie, he was really racist. And then they tone it down for TV here. Um, and like, he has no redeeming features. Like, it's like he deserved to be fired. And right? they play the like saxophone of seriousness when he finds out he's fired. <laughs> like, oh, man, what are we going to do about Buster? Like, who cares? <laughs> Very quick note on that point, though, Alison. Is it normal in America to find out? I, and I'm not sure exactly whether he found out he got fired because the, the barman was, was sent a memo or, or the memo was slipped in his payslip. Either way, is that normal? I don't think so. I mean, I've never like I feel I've heard of people getting their pink slips. I've never been fired, but I mean, it's not normal. It's normal on American sitcoms <laughs> for dramatic purposes. All right, good. That, that's fine. We can carry on. I just I was a little worried for Buster, asshole as he is. I that that seemed a, a touch cruel. I mean, whenever I've been fired, I've been told by my boss in the work environment, yes. <laughs> not at the bar with the boys afterwards. Not that I've ever gone to the bar with the boys. Yeah, I think they probably want like want to do it and then like have a witness or like some other things be like, hey, they we told them. Well, back in the 80s, they would have just fired him. But I think, Allison, you hit it on the head of why Buster is the worst character. It's just like he's a complete dick throughout. He's fired for being a dick. And then we're supposed to feel bad for him because white guy. <laughs> it's yeah. the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, and it, it's just uh, again, it's it's that sense of entitlement that the movie was trying to point out. I'm surprised we were allowed to keep it on because my dad's a big union guy. So anything that's going to be perceived as anti-union, he gets you know he he'll take umbrage with it. I wrote a paper once for college about um how the unions in New York were bankrupting some of the newspapers because the delivery guys were making six figures. And he's like, well, why can't they make six figures? They were in the union and that's what the union contract did. And he was like, he was actually angry at me for the way I ended the paper. So there's a lot of like blue collar, like Mm. um, politics that they're playing with here. That's an undertone that of course gets short shrift because American television is just so, especially in the eighties, just so god awful um for the most part so there was some substance they were trying to get to there but then they cast it in the light of you're supposed to feel sympathetic for the blue collar jerk because he's just you know a lovable blue collar working man and that shit started in america with ralph cramden who is probably the biggest asshole on television in in history in my opinion i mean the guy is just irredeemable that character but you're supposed to love him because he's every man but we already have Scott Bakula as the everyman. Do we need another everyman? 
Scott Bakula is the good-looking guy. Scott Bakula is not not the working schlub. <laughs> Scott Bakula is the hero. He's the wish fulfillment. He's the he's the ladies' man. Yeah, yeah. He's, I yeah. I wondered if that line. I don't remember the movie well enough. Like I just I remember there was a love interest with with Michael Keaton, but like they're like, hey, you still seeing that girl? And then he's just like, ah, nah, whatever. And then one line gone. It's like, is that supposed to be how they're like? Ah, she's gone now. <laughs> They did play they did play with his dating around. They had an episode where he fell in love. I feel like he had I'm gonna look up the movie now. It was episode Episode five, which I titled Hunt in Love. But it turns out the girl just wanted to have fun. She wasn't ready for that kind of commitment. I'm just, I'm just looking up on Wikipedia the disc- the the summary of the movie because I'm trying to remember what happened. I feel like him winning his girlfriend or like doing something to make something up to her or something was part of the plot. Man, I should have rewatched it. <laughs> I wanted to. I couldn't find it anywhere where I wouldn't have to pay for it. But it's it's so long though. Is the thing? It's almost two hours. <laughs> and that's the thing with all Ron Howard what? movies. It doesn't need to be two hours. If like, oh man, can we make these cars? <laughs> oh, it, sa- it says in um, it says on Wikipedia that um, the role of Hunt Stevenson uh, was turned down by Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy. Really? Yeah. Wow. The movie received ne- mixed to negative reviews. <laughs> but like you say, Ron Howard movie so has to spin off to TV. I mean, you guys say that I I'm I'm not aware of other Ron Howard movies that went to TV. What which other ones are we talking about, Allison? Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> Maybe I'm confusing things. I thought a lot of his shows. I could be thinking of someone else. Yeah, I was just trusting Allison, and it sounded plausible. <laughs> I could have been thinking of something else. Everybody loves Ron Howard. Certainly, here I think we've established this is a film that, on critical merit and plotline alone. Uh, should not have spun off t- TV show. Okay, uh, I I was thinking of someone else, but I can name some other Ron <laughs> Howard movies. They did attempt or make into TV shows, uh, but not oh, as right. much as I was thinking. They did a pilot for Splash called Splash T O O. No, which was a, a movie, um, but they didn't end up making a show out of it. Oh wow! And uh, they also did a couple times Parenthood, I believe. That's been twice as a TV show. Uh, yes, of course. Oh, Splash 2. Was that, I, I have seen Splash 2. I didn't realize that was, was that meant to be a pilot? It was, yeah. Oh, yeah. First broadcast in two parts. Amazing. Yeah. Now, I, I saw that growing up and I just assumed it was another big budget movie. Um, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I seriously disliked Parenthood when I saw it in the theaters. Oh, that's a bad Ron Howard memory. I didn't think I disliked any Ron Howard movies. I saw it and it left my mind. My favorite Ron Howard movie is The Grinch. I have yet to see that. <laughs> I love The Grinch. Is this uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch? Yeah, the Jim Carrey Grinch. I didn't even know that was his, but um, okay. That's why Clint Howard's in it. He just keeps of casting course. him in his movie. Oh. What'd you guys think of Clint Howard in Gung Ho? He's he's not in the pilot enough. Um, but he's so good, I, Googie. I love I love seeing Clint Howard in anything. He's so good. A guy that looks that weird could get away with just rocking up and looking weird and walking off, but he actually does. He's he's a really good comic performer. I love Clint Howard, and they uh, they don't use him very much in this show. But um, I do remember one episode. They had some running joke about how he has to like call the weather station like to get get the report on the weather and they acted like that was so funny (laughs) i gotta find out the weather (laughs) i'm laughing because it was stupid i hope our listeners are getting as excited as i'm about watching the rest of this series because all this stuff you're talking about i've completely blocked from my mind i'm really getting uh, an urge to binge i wanted to talk about there's a few quantum leap people on this show actually so we talked about Buster. Uh, he was played by George Went in the movie, and he's uh, Stephen Lee mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, and you mentioned this in the the last uh, episode we recorded. Uh, he was in Trilogy, yeah, as the uh, the sh- this the 
Not the sheriff, the assistant sheriff. What is the second sheriff? <laughs> He's the deputy. Deputy, deputy sheriff. sheriff. That's what it is. And then he was. <laughs> then, and the then word. he was sheriff Bo in trilogy two. Right, he was a sheriff by the end. Mm. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I didn't recognize him. He was on there. Um, the the guy. Uh, is it Rodney Kagiyama? Ito yeah. was he the one that was he was in Quantum Leap a couple times. What did he play? I saw that they crossed him over, but I couldn't figure out where I'd seen him. He was in Lee Harvey Oswald in the bar. Oh, was he? Um, yeah, he was the cross dresser in the geisha. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was also uh, in the Leap Home Part Two in the bar. He just is in bars a lot. He was a uh, just a bartender, I think. And he was a recurring character on Tequila and Benetti. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Which was a far more racist caricature than anything in Gung Ho, I will say. <laughs> um, but there was also, I noticed in later episodes, it wasn't in this one. Um, I don't know if they replaced one of the extra guys or if it was just someone they, they brought in another extra or supporting guy. But um, the guy who was the prison warden in uh, Return or Revenge. No, which is the evil leaper one in the prison? Revenge. Revenge? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the evil warden there, he uh, is one of the extra uh, worker guys in later episodes. Like, he's just hanging out at the tables, might have a line or two. Cool. I wonder if, I bet Scott Bakula remembered them, though. It seems like Scott Bakula remembers everyone. Like, hey, I worked with you then, and our, oh, hey, how you doing? So I bet he was like, hey, remember Gung Ho? <laughs> <laughs> we try not to. <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Matt? Mm. This is specifically for you, Matt, this question, because it never even occurred to me, being an American and um, an entitled American, that (laughs) there are such things as American stereotypical characters (laughs) on TV shows. So, I mean, you mentioned it here. Uh, For me, I saw fake George Went as the typical American character because of my baggage with Jackie Gleason and just dumb TV husbands. Like to me that that's a trope that goes back to old time radio, which pisses me off Mm -hmm. to no end because husbands have to be fucking morons. They just do, you know, if it wasn't for the love of a good woman (laughs) who's way too hot for them, they would be lost. And um, that's just been a mainstay of American cultural entertainment, especially in the sitcom genre. I'm wondering like what other, American caricatures were in this that you're like, oh yeah, that's that American character and that's that American character. The thing is, I was thinking American caricatures, really, what I'm mostly getting at is white guy caricatures, <laughs> but there there are subtle differences between the way they're done in American sitcoms and the way they're done in British sitcoms, but for sure there's there's the lazy dumb guy and there's the, the Scott Bakula horn dog character, which we get our own versions of those in british sitcoms but there's just there's something and i can't i can't describe the detail there is something uniquely american about um buster and hunt but regardless taking that aside um they are definitely white guy caricatures for sure i wonder how much of that comes from and this applies to all the characters really like how much of it is from uh stereotyping and how much of it is just because sitcoms are just broad and lazy yeah uh you know like i don't know if it's really because they're just like oh we're gonna make fun of the the japanese people or the american people or whatever in that like i mean there's just so many sitcoms and especially around around this time that were that were like this where it's like is that really a joke is that anything like we just kind of throwing things at the wall like scott bacula like he this girl hits on him at the uh the bar and then like he mentions something about like the circus girl leaving him <laughs> seen that girl nah it's all over career woman what are you gonna do circus left town that was that <laughs> hope she left the trapeze did she say trapeze <laughs> goes after her and i'm like oh this feels so insincere like did anyone chuckle at this <laughs> is anyone laughing i i chuckled at it but i think you're meant to chuckle with it chuckling because it's so lame <laughs> again that's pilot stuff and i was still so horrified by just the blatant racism everywhere that all the jokes fell flat except for that germane joke and i think that was wantanabi that gave that joke so I don't know, did the pilot feel that racist though? 
let's put it this way. My notes say they somehow even made the font racist. So yes, How, to me, I it just I, so over the top Japanese stereotype. The opening chords of the theme tune with, with all the kind of—it's just immediately okay. I know what we're doing here. They're doing the the clash, you know, the culture clash. It's a mishmash. But I, it it seems to me that they were just playing the Japanese characters for laughs because they were Japanese. Isn't that weird and funny? Haha. They do. There were some in there. I I mean, you're right. I mean, the the whole um the stuff with Saito and his wife. Um, the fact that like uh Getty Watanabe like constantly gets words and phrases wrong and mm. um, th- there was some stuff. I just feel like a lot of this falls into like laziness i mean it is i guess casual racism in that way but i feel like overall like it wasn't really as racist as i thought that the whole thing would be and it was 10 times more racist than i was even expecting (laughs) (laughs) there's it it's not subtle and yeah i think you you guys have both mentioned standard sitcom humor you've you've got a or certainly in those days you had to make it pretty broad and pretty easy to follow and the subtleties that are missing that maybe I, I I was trying to view this when I was watching this in preparation here through the lens of how could this be made today? And I, I don't think it could. I don't think any amount of uh, tweaks to it could be. And I found having been in, in quite a corporate environment all my life, I found the the scenario, at least the workplace scenario, really familiar. This idea of one company taking over another and there being culture clashes within the environment because of that, something that absolutely you could do with a whole bunch of people from the same country today. And there would be no there'd be no racism in it. It probably would not be funny at all. Uh, And that's (laughs) that's where that's where really I I struggle with this a bit in terms of, yeah, how how it could get made today um, with a. A more modern view. I would be interested in hearing the opinion of uh, of an actual like Japanese person mm. uh, watching this, like what their take on it is. Because I'm sure there's like dumb American stuff in it for sure, but um, I don't know. I I feel like this is a premise they could still do, but approach it a lot differently. Well. Culture clash is a staple premise, I think, for for yeah. comedy, and just as recently as those awful Borat films. I mean, there's a new Borat film which is True. basically, you know, faux culture clash, just for the sake of laughing at somebody else's expense. But it's it's not anything that's new to gung ho, and it's not anything that's really gone away. I I think that the culture clash, though, between the Japanese worker and the American worker is a quintessentially 1980s thing. So I don't know that this could be made today, not because of the, the, the casual racism or anything like that. I think it's just a, a product of its time. So to have um, Japanese people running an American auto plant and bringing their ways in doesn't seem all that shocking any longer because we're in such a global economy now yeah is that why in the all these 80s things you always hear the jokes where it's just like i like to buy american-made cars <laughs> yeah and that's not a joke i still hear that to this day yeah <laughs> so, i just feel yeah. like there were so many like crabby old men in in movies that <laughs> would make that same joke for like old people to laugh at i guess <laughs> but this, this is where chris like you say this this kind of stuff still happens and whether it's um japanese taking over american businesses or british businesses taking over other british businesses these kind of workplace culture shocks still happen and there's there's certainly drama to be had out of that but is the comedy reliant on stereotypes uh, on a on a racial level you know i think the comedy now is Reliant on if any workplace comedies, I don't really watch them, but the comedies now are, I guess you're thinking in vain of like The Office, Porks and Rec. It's just like The the Office, but gung-ho. <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe what Googie did today. Googie looks at the camera. 
I mean, you guys have to correct me if I'm wrong because I don't watch those shows because I don't like that style of humor. To me, that style of humor, the reason it's funny is because people are visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's awkward. So they find humor in the awkwardness. And then you have, mm-hmm. I guess, Steve mm-hmm. Carell's character, which was supposed to, he was supposed to be kind of a dope too on The Office as, yeah, as well, comedy relief. I mean, so that's not really my style. It's this, you know, I, I just get uncomfortable watching that. So I can't watch it. As someone who watched all of The Office fairly recently for the first time, the first season was awful. And <laughs> they would make, um, they would make a lot of racial jokes or like things that were just like, it's funny because it's like, it's mean. Um, and like, you know, <laughs> like they would have things like Steve Corral's character is quoting um, a, a joke from like a black comedian and then saying all of the like bad words and stuff like that. And it's like, it's funny because that um, it, it was terrible. But then they had this turnaround uh, sometime in the second season where they kind of realized like the jokes need to be at their expense at the expense of that person, not at the expense of, like, the the people that he's making fun of. And they found this sort of balance there that I think if you were going to do, say, gung-ho in that kind of style, um, it depends on who is th- who is the one that the jokes are at the expense of. If right. you were like, okay, here is the, the, the dumb American or the dumb racist or whatever, and then, like, they get their comeuppance or, you know, there's some sort of, like... It balance there where it's not like we're supposed to be laughing at other cultures and things like that. Yeah. You could do something like that. Mm. Interesting. The office turned around and became bad again, but just saying <laughs> there was a point where it was good. <laughs> but in making that distinction, Allison, you bring to mind to me one of the seminal American sitcoms of all time, which is All in the Family, in which you had as a main character like a horrible bigot. But the reason that show was hilarious and the reason that show endures is because you weren't meant to be on his side. You were meant to laugh at how stupid he was. And it's it's a crucial distinction. I think that this this is um, a conversation about all comedy. And this comes up a lot. So people are like, Mel Brooks and Blazing Saddles said the N-word a lot. So that means that you can just say the N-word and call it comedy and then, like, you know, comedy's built on political incorrectness. And it's like, no, okay, you're just taking out, like, context completely. Because when you're talking about, like, Blazing Saddles, the the jokes are at the expense of the racists. Yes. You know, like, there's a way that you handle things. Context and comedy, you know, like, um, and you just because you say an offensive thing doesn't make it funny. And so, uh, you know, yeah, comedy is subjective, of course, but... You know, there's ways to handle uncomfortable subjects and still make it good and respectful. Right. So maybe if we were going to imagine a gung-ho reboot, Matt, maybe that's where (laughs) we start. We start from the basis of laughing at and pointing at characters like uh, fake George Wendt. I always forget his freaking name. (laughs) Uh, Buster. Buster, yeah. And making Buster the butt of the joke instead of the lovable blue-collar stand-in for the working men in the audience. He should have had to, like, make up for things. Like, he doesn't. He doesn't have any, like, moment of redemption there. It's like they have to make things up to him like he was wronged. And it's like, that's not the case at all. He was an asshole. But but Allison, he likes to feel special about his welding. (laughs) Who cares? He learned the same lesson in the movie, and he was a big jerk. You're a heartless monster. In the movie, he was, like, throwing around slurs and stuff. Like, he didn't deserve any of the the good stuff that came to him. He should have been gone. (laughs) Stupid buster. Yeah. Well, you know, they did address some of that stuff as the series went on. There was an episode that was actually kind of funny where they have Kaz going to like a Knights of Columbus to help Cash speak. And mm-hmm. he's sitting next to a, an obvious World War II vet. And the guy says to him, I was in Japan. And he just says, he, he just says, can we please avoid this conversation? <laughs> and he says, yeah, I was there last year. I went to these, these gardens or whatever. So I mean, <laughs> you're waiting for, you know, the, the old World War II, Mm. You know, and yeah, they they subverted what you thought. Mm. So there was a glimmer as the show went on and it found its voice that they could maybe do it smart if they chose to do it smart. But I also feel like 
like you said, Allison, everything had to be so broad and lowest common denominator. And I think you said it as well, Matt. I mean, that's just indicative of TV of the time. Spoon feeding gags to idiots because it's got to play to everyone. If they had had some more time, they might have been able to get a funnier, better show. Because I feel like a lot of sitcoms too, like even one, like I, there's some that I, that I like that in the beginning, they're really rough because they're trying to figure things out. Mm. They're trying to work it out. <laughs> um, but Gung Ho never really got that chance. And um, I can't say I'm really that sad. I feel like this was the amount of episodes we needed. Because <laughs> I enjoy it. I didn't need to see um, so many seasons of it. But if they'd had more of a chance, I think they probably could have smoothed out some of the, the awkward things about it. Yeah, you can say that for any show, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shows. It's like, yeah, if they'd had some time, but yeah, yeah. The one other thing I wanted to highlight, just in terms of yeah, who who we're laughing at throughout this, um, I think it's nice and it and reassuring in a way that the episode ends with Kaz making the kind of the although it's it's a little. It's a little cheesy, and it's definitely a, an American 80s sitcom staple, having a bit of a moral lesson at the end. But it's delivered by Kaz, and he, he says the most intelligent thing in the whole 25 minutes about... Oh, yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. All I ask is that they be honest ones. That immediately, for, for me, it's like, all right, there's just a whole bunch of dumb Americans and Kaz saying something really smart. So... <laughs> okay, there's, there's there's some redemption for anything that's happened so far in the, this first 25 minutes that we are going to see Kaz being the smart guy, not just the uh, crazy subservient idiot barring repeatedly while he's on the phone to his boss. Yeah, and and not the constant butt of Cash's jokes. It wasn't mean-spirited. Yes. And that's really what I was expecting. So that's an excellent observation, Matt. I, I really thought that the whole show was going to be about him being the dumb Japanese guy. Yes. And then yeah. it wasn't that at all. So yeah. I wonder, I don't think that, would Wantanabe have done it if it was? Hmm. Probably considering the other things <laughs> <laughs> seen him in, but no, like I said before, I mentioned this, like, I feel like the fact that this was about an Asian family and not all the stories were about stereotypes. Like they did have like actual, like, plots and uh, episodes and like they, they were the stars of the show they were like scott bacula was a supporting character on the show um i feel like if they had had more time uh and developed it more like that kind of representation um would have meant something because even now i can't think of like any sitcoms or any shows well there was one in the 90s there was one in the 90s that was female-led, and I can't for the life of me remember it, but um, while it was lauded for being about like a Chinese family, I think, um, a lot of people said, well, this actress is Korean, and this actress is Japanese, and this actress, you know, just this uh -huh. Pan-Asian cast playing a specific type of Asian, which was a problem of American TV. All one Asian is the same as any other Asian, right? And yeah. now here, um, I think in the 2000s, you have Fresh Off the Boat which I don't know if that's still on, but we watched it for a couple of years and it was cute. It was based on a book by a chef named Eddie. Why am I blanking? I don't know. But if you'd seen that, I watched it mainly because Constance Wu is absolutely gorgeous. So I wanted to just keep looking at her, but that's me. Um, I mean, that's not really a great track record though. This <laughs> no, is it's like, not. not. If I can only name can two. Think of. <laughs> I can only name two. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess maybe that was getting to your point. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, even if, again, like, we're all white people here, so I don't know what, what actual, like, Japanese people thought of this or would think of it now. Um, maybe they would think that it's terrible. But, you know, uh, that was something that was unique about it to me. Mm. And you have to think back at the time, just are you just thrilled to see someone who looks like you on a primetime show? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, were they all Japanese? I feel like, I don't know. I don't know enough about these actors to say if they were all actually Japanese. Um, I, It seemed like they were, if they were going to get them from the movie. But yeah, yeah I but didn't look that up either. Don't so always cast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just seem to have, they all seem to have Japanese names. Yeah. Okay. 
Should we go for some final thoughts then, Alison? I think it's, I think I pretty much covered it. I look, it's not a good sitcom. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but um, it has some merits to it, and I think like um, I just enjoy watching it. It's kind of silly, kind of lame. <laughs> So, I don't know. I think if people can find any copies of it, it's really hard to find. Um, it's it's an interesting artifact of the time. Yeah. Okay. Chris? Um, I don't know that I'd recommend anybody watch it, but I think if you do watch it, it'll be a bit more dynamic than you're expecting. And that, to me, I'm glad that I had all the episodes to watch and that I didn't just let the first episode be the litmus test for the entire six or eight episode run that they had because i think that had they been able to go on they would have found a balance and they would have found a true heart um because the actors kind of demand it you had a lot of really good actors on screen working their way through a lot of shit material um <laughs> eventually maybe they would have found their groove and it's funny to me that we're on final thoughts. We've barely spoken about Scott, and I think that says it all. I mean, his character was such yeah. a non-entity in this show. He had big hair. Yeah, big eighties <laughs> hair. He had his big eighties hair with the slicked back. <laughs> not not in the like bottom of uh, Scott Bakula's hairstyles over the years, but uh, not really at the top for me. <laughs> and I think I I'm going to agree with both you guys. I I don't honestly know who I would recommend this to. Um, but Scott Bakula fans uh, yes <laughs> really desperate Scott Bakula fans who have seen everything else he's been in and are now scraping the barrel but I I enjoy it myself it's a guilty pleasure I, I find it quite yeah Alison as you said silly it's been a long time since I've watched all the episodes so um, definitely having having chatted to you guys about this today uh, it makes me more keen to re-watch the rest but even the, just watching the pilot was a lot of fun I can giggle at it um, whilst overlooking some of the more problematic elements. So it was uh, it was it was worth a rewatch. Can we, before we wrap everything up, um, sing the theme song? <laughs> I was going to say, Matt, I think you should lead us. <laughs> <laughs> I never I... sing though. I put the lyrics on there for Allison. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to jump in, but uh, I'm trying to remember the, how the beginning goes. I just remember the refrain. Oh, it's, ri so. it's written down on it's, the... It's, on the... We've, we've got it there. It's right there waiting for us. All right, face shall we? In three. <laughs> I, I didn't need a counting. <laughs> Hopefully there's not too much of a lag or this is going to be a clusterfuck. <laughs> I think it's going to be a clusterfuck anyway, Alice. <laughs> Face to face, try to try it out. Compromise, that's what it's all about. About you do the best you can. Working together, there's gonna be changes, changes in your life, and maybe things change. None of that. The lag was so fucking bad. None of us were in sync. None of us. Not a single one. I, I think I don't think we can blame the lag for that. I think we were also all singing at different tempos. To be fair, yeah. oh man, put the cover out on YouTube. Be like, here, like. cover of the Gung Ho theme song, <laughs> Matt Dale, Christopher DeFilippis, Allison Pregler. <laughs> now, but before platinum, before we do completely wrap up, shall we uh, make plans for what we're going to be covering next? Oh, that's right. We have to do the picklematic. Oh, right. We're doing the next leaps elsewhere. Yes, we need a Dean project. Oh, we already just we already decided what we were going to do. Did we were going to do Neil the Neil Young, Young thing. thing. What? Where did we decide that? <laughs> did you decide that? I did. <laughs> the hell? At the end of, of the landlady, if you recall. You're going to make me watch Human Highway again? Human Highway. <laughs> Human Highway, that was it. 
No, we don't have to. I was just jonesed about it. I've never heard of this thing. What is this? I see in the IMDb summary it mentions an assortment of bizarre characters and weird events. Hmm, this sounds <laughs> implausible. All right, we don't have to watch Human Highway. All right, so who's got the pick-o-matic at the ready? What are our Dean projects? Look, I won't be a jerk if you guys want to review Human Highway, but if not, I will will scroll through and randomly pick something. Let's scroll through and randomly pick. I know that you were hot on Werewolf of uh, Washington. Oh, man, Werewolf of Washington's so good. All right, uh, (laughs) I'm just going to do... I'm closing my eyes. I don't know where it's at, and mouse is... Uh <laughs> Oh no. Oh no, I hate that. <laughs> as long as it's not Enterprise. It's the NCIS episode. No. What? <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> uh well, you know, it would be a double. It'll be a double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a Scott ending. We'd have both of them. Okay. Oh no. Uh, oh no, I hate that. <laughs> I have never seen an episode of NCIS. Same. <laughs> Oh, we gonna have some fun. <laughs> I'm gonna look forward to that. <laughs> All right. This sounds like it's gonna have some more stereotypes. Hurrah! Uh, Human Highway ain't looking so bad now, is it? Well, we gonna have some, some accents. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you like Scott Bakula's New Orleans accent. <laughs> oh, this sounds like it's gonna be painful. Uh, There's gonna be changes. <laughs> There's gonna changes, changes in your in life. lives. <laughs> There's gonna be accents, accents and some boats. Changeable accents. (laughs) Thank you to all of our Patreon patrons who make this wonderful bonus content possible. I mean, you've been waiting for us to sing and here it is. So you're getting your money's worth. That's all I can say. (laughs) I'm sorry for people who like (laughs) NCIS New Orleans. Scott Bakula is lovely. We all love him here. Don't be sorry, Alison, until the end of the next episode. That's when we'll need to really apologize <laughs> right. to, the, to the fans. Okay, so shall we wrap this up then? At last yeah, let's do it. Let's All wrap right. it up. I've been Matt Dale. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Christopher D. Philippus. And we'll see you next time on Leaps Elsewhere. So, what do the Japanese have for snacks? That's the question. I have these salty, um, I guess it's like a fish snack that a friend of mine found. And I guess it tastes just like like anchovy, is oh, what man. he said. I know they don't have as um, sweet of desserts in Japan. Though, I mean, like, they have, like, candies and stuff. But, I mean, like, desserts, uh, not very sweet. Which, um... Like and generally in like Asian desserts, stuff like that. I don't know why that is. It's kind of a bummer. I went to uh to Chinatown. You know, China's different than Japan, but some similar cuisine. Uh, I went to Chinatown with my boyfriend, and he uh he's very picky. He doesn't eat a lot, and so uh, he's like, oh, "I'll just have the desserts because he loves desserts," and it's just a big letdown. Yeah, different desserts, right? Yeah, it was like, oh, a sweet bun that'll be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's filled with kidneys. But they do have those great, um, Japan's got like the different uh, flavored Kit Kats. Yes. Because Kit Kat is like um, similar to uh, a word they have in uh, Japanese, like that means luck or something like that, I think. So they like giving- I didn't know that was one. They like giving Kit Kats as like good luck things. And that's why like they're so big into them and they just have just this huge variety of flavors. So, so the best thing to do if you're launching like a new confectionery is to find a translation in another language other than Japanese, obviously, because that's been taken for for luck or something like that, and use that as the name when you launch it in an English speaking country, and just I hope mean, that it just takes off over there when you, when you ready for worldwide sales. Like, yes, the Argentinians are loving this. Right? How do you say luck in Hindi? I mean, yeah, yeah, there is that, but I think it's part of it's just because Japan, they love wordplay, and so they'll do that a lot, and that's why a lot, like, when they translate stuff from animes, some jokes don't really work, because they're, it's supposed to be wordplay. And in answer to your question, Chris, uh, luck in Hindi seems to be baji, so I'm going to create a confectionery called baji. A baji Baji bar? Baji bars. 
get a baji bar. We're going to sell them up in Baston. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining, like, in the States or in any English-speaking place, I suppose, you look at the shelf and it's just like a chocolate bar with just luck written on it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) big, bold font. Yeah. (laughs) Flying off the shelves. Oh, you got a luck bar? (laughs) Oh, by the way, happy birthday, Matt. Thank you, thank you so much. Happy birthday! Much appreciated. So, and I love your cake. Yes, I thought you would. I knew you'd appreciate it. Sharon and I have a mutual friend who is a, a cakester, whatever it is you actually call them, and uh, she, she does it. She does it. Or she's going into it professionally. She's quite new at it, but uh, she's really good. So, it was a, yeah, it was a commission that came by surprise. If she's new at it and it looks that good, imagine how she's going to get when she gets uh, a little more experienced. Yes, and cake. Who can forget Cakester, that recipe sharing app that took the bottom out of the cake baking industry? Cakester. <laughs> There's gonna be changes, changes to our show. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Leaps Elsewhere. To find out more about how you can access this and other great Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. While there, you'll also notice that we have our first poll up so that you can vote on which episode of Quantum Leap we cover next after Mirror Image. As we mentioned on the last show, we're going to go back and do earlier episodes that Matt, Allison, and I have not yet covered as a team, as the host of the podcast. And we want our Patreon supporters to have a say on where we leap. So for as little as a dollar a month, you can vote on which episode we cover next. You'll also find more information about our new QLP book club, which we set up in preparation for shows covering the novels and the comic books. So we got a lot going on over at Patreon, a lot going on for the future of the show, and we can't wait to bring it all to you. Once again, you can find all of that information at patreon.com slash Leap podcast, and we'll be getting that mirror image episode to you in a couple of weeks. Until then, thank you for your patience, and as always, thank you for your continued support. Take care.